Well, every morning we get up and we walk in our closet before we leave the house and we decide what we're going to wear that day. What are we going to put on? But we also need to decide every morning what we're going to put on spiritually for that day. Uh, You know, what do you clothe yourself with spiritually when you leave your house? Well, as I was flying home last Thursday from Newark, we were talking about how nice it was. We got home on Thursday, and uh, how nice it was. The girls, the young girls especially, were saying, yeah, we got time off until Monday. We don't have to go back to work. And I was like, yeah, it's going to be great. I'm going to go home and sleep and just have a great weekend. And then all of a sudden, panic gripped me because I realized, oh, I'm teaching heart to heart. <laughs> Tuesday. And so I pulled out my Bible on the plane, and I just read over 1 Peter 5, over and over and over, just repeated and read it. And as I did, there was one phrase that kept jumping out at me every time I read the book, the, the chapter. And that phrase was, clothe yourself with humility. If we're going to be anchored in Christ in the middle of suffering and hard times, one thing we need to put on every day is humility. So in the final chapter of his letter, and I'm a little sad to close out this book, but I will tell you that uh, I've loved 1 Peter. It's a hard book. And if it makes you feel any better, I couldn't answer some of my own questions. And I had to pull out a commentary at times, because it's not an easy book, but it is so practical, and I've enjoyed it. But in this final chapter, he points out four areas in which we're to clothe ourselves in humility. And so let's look at these four areas uh, this morning. Uh, The first area is we are to clothe ourselves with humility and leadership. We see that in verses 1 to 4. And this chapter begins with the word, therefore, and I ask you about that. What is he referring to? He had just talked about suffering according to the will of God and entrusting your souls to a faithful creator. And so because of the suffering and the persecution, those congregations that were scattered throughout the region, they especially needed godly leadership in this time. And so he begins this last chapter by addressing the elders, the spiritual leaders in the church, uh, in those churches. And his challenge to them was, shepherd the the flock of God among you. Protect them from their enemies. Lead them down the right path. Feed them from God's word. Take care of your flock. And to shepherd the flock of God well, Spiritual leaders have to lead with humility, looking out for the interest of their flock more than their own interest. Godly leadership is not about self. It's about the flock that's entrusted to them. So Peter was addressing the elders, the spiritual leaders in the church. And you may say, well, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not an elder in the church, so I can skip over this passage. And it's true that he was addressing 
when he wrote this letter, he was addressing a specific group of people. But we can broaden the application to today, and we can apply that principle to any area where we're shepherding others, where we're spiritual leaders. Um, You may have a small group that you're shepherding. You may have some people that you're discipling or a ministry that you're leading, even your children or your flock. And so we are to clothe ourselves with humility as we give spiritual leadership to them. Look out for their best interest, not our own. So how do you know if you're clothing yourself with humility in leadership? Well, Peter gives some guidelines in verses 2 and 3. And so I would encourage you to ask yourself these three questions to evaluate if you're clothing yourself in humility as you lead. One, do you have the right attitude? Are you shepherding others willingly because you want to? Are you shepherding them grudgingly like, ugh, I have to, I don't want to, but somebody has to do it. Do you have the right attitude? Second question to ask yourself that Peter points out is, do you have the right motivation? Is your motivation to shepherd others for personal gain, to build yourself up? Or is it because you are eager to see them grow spiritually? And then third, do you have the right method? Are you using the right method in shepherding them? Are you leading by example? Or are you lording it over them, dictating what they do through your power? Are you saying, do what I say, not what I do? What is your method for shepherding? Those are some questions for us to ask to help us evaluate, are we clothing ourselves with humility and spiritual leadership? And so the first exhortation was to the spiritual leaders in the congregations. Clothe yourself with humility as you lead the flock. Second exhortation is the second area that we're to clothe ourselves in humility is in subjection. And we see that in verse 5, the very beginning. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. In other words, you younger men, submit to the spiritual leaders in your church. They're older, uh, they're wiser. Follow what they instruct you to do. And if they're leading with humility, they're leading you down the right path. So does this apply only to younger men? Is this another verse that we look at and go, hey, I'm not a younger man, man, so I can just ignore this? Well, again, in that context, he was addressing the younger men, but it, it applies to really today, it can apply to everyone in the church under spiritual leadership, men and women. But in that culture and time when Peter wrote, it was, he was addressing the young men because women were low-key in the church. They were there, but they were in the background. 
And so Peter was addressing the young men, many of whom would one day become the spiritual leaders in that church. But it's applicable to us today as we can apply that principle that he's teaching, which is we are to respect and submit to our spiritual leadership. And to do that, to subject ourselves to another's leadership requires humility because we have to say, okay, I'm willing to not do it my way. I'm willing to do it the way you think is best. And that requires humility. You know, Jesus is a great example of clothing yourself in subjection, uh, or clothing yourself in humility in subjection. In Philippians 2, you don't need to turn there, but in Philippians 2, Paul reminds us that Jesus humbled himself by being obedient to the Father to the point that he went to the cross. He subjected himself to the Father's will, and he set an example for us to follow. So the first two exhortations are... Clothe yourself with humility and leadership. Clothe yourself with humility and subjection. And then the third area is clothe yourself with humility in relationships. And that's in the second part of verse 5. And he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. So this applies to everyone. To clothe yourselves literally means to to tie something on yourself with a knot or a bow. And that term was, was used often of a slave who put an apron on to cover his clothes in order to keep his clothes clean while he worked. And so to clothe yourselves with humility means to put on that apron and go to work humbly serving one another, putting their needs and desires ahead of your own. And again, we refer back to Philippians 2, and I put these verses up here for you. In verses 2 through 4, Paul instructed the Philippians about humility, and he said, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. He set the example. He wrapped a towel around himself, and he served. He washed the disciples' feet. So to clothe yourself with humility in relationships means to regard others as more important than yourself. Don't focus on what you want or how you think things should be done, but consider others and their preferences. And let's face it, we don't all like the same things. We don't all like the same style of worship. We don't all like the same style of teaching. We don't uh, all like the way a church or a ministry is led. We disagree. But we need to consider each other and be respectful of others and what works best for them. Maybe 
um, they don't like this particular style of worship, but they see how somebody else, that's what draws them to the Lord. And so you say, I'm willing to listen to this because I see the growth in your life. That's putting somebody else before yourself. You know, I shared this uh, situation. I shared this story years ago, um, and some of you will remember it, but it has never left my mind. It made such an impact on me. So I'm sharing it again, and some of you have not heard it. But when I first came to First Sivan, uh, the contemporary service met down in the gym on Sunday nights, and it was called New Song. And I remember I had just come here. It was probably the, the first year. And I was sitting down in the gym on a Sunday night listening to the contemporary worship. And I looked in front of me, and two rows in front of me was Alma Alexander, Peggy Scott's mom. And I don't know if she was in her 80s maybe. Peggy, you probably know better. Um, but she was um, sitting two rows in front of me. And I thought, is that Alma Alexander? No, it can't be. And I thought, that is strange. And so after church, I went up to her. And I said, Alma, I didn't know you liked contemporary worship. And she said, oh, I don't. (laughs) But I love watching young people worship. And so she came to that service, not because she liked it, but because she wanted to join in with the younger generation and worship with them. I have never forgotten her words. And so, Peggy, you should be proud of your mom. Um, She made an impact on me. So clothe yourself in leadership, with humility and leadership. Clothe yourself with humility in subjection. But clothe yourself with humility in your relationships. And then fourth... Clothe yourself with humility in the spiritual battle. And we're going to spend a little time here this morning. And this is verses 6 to 9. We are in a spiritual battle every day. Their spiritual battle in 1 Peter at that time was handling persecution and suffering. And Peter exhorted them in verse 6, humble yourselves. He said, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. And the context of this verse is their suffering. And so I want to break that verse down because I think it's just such a key verse in this chapter. He begins with the exhortation, humble yourselves. We humble ourselves by admitting that we need God to get us through the trials and the spiritual battles. We can't do it on our own. And we admit to him, God, I can't, but I know you can. And so we have to humble ourselves to say, I can't do it. And then he says, under the mighty hand of God. When you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, you acknowledge and trust his sovereignty. You, that's what his mighty hand In the Old Testament, it's used to talk about deliverance, guidance. And when you humble yourself under his mighty hand, you are saying, you are sovereign, you are on the throne, not me. And I trust you. I rest in that. Even when it takes me 
through suffering. And then he says that he may exalt you at the proper time. And I shared with my leaders this morning that for years I used to read that verse. And I thought it meant if you wait for something you really want, a job or a position, if you wait long enough, God will eventually exalt you if you humble yourself. But that's not what Peter is referring to in this verse. He is speaking uh, in the context of their trials and suffering. And he's saying that God is going to lift those believers out of their suffering in his timing. One day, he's going to lift them out of that. It may not be on this earth. It may be when he returns. But one day, he will lift them out. So how do we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God? What does that look like to do that? Well, Peter answers that in verse 7. And he says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Their anxiety was because of the persecution and the suffering that they were facing and that they would face in the coming months and years. They were worried. They were anxious. But when we cast our anxiety on him, we let go of that worry. We let go of trying to handle things on our own, and we give it to him and say, God, I can't do anything about this situation, and so I'm giving it to you. I I trust you. I'm humbling myself under your power and your sovereignty. I've heard it said that worry is sin because of three things. One, because worry denies the wisdom of of God. When I say, God, uh, when I worry, I'm saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. I know better how to handle this. You're, you, you just don't know what you're doing. And so we deny his wisdom. Second reason that worry is sin is because worry denies the love of God. When I worry, I'm saying, God, you don't care about what I'm going through. You don't love me because if you did, I wouldn't be going through this. But he does care. And he does love us. Even when we don't understand. And then the third reason that worry is sin is because it denies the power of God. When I worry, I'm saying, God, you can't get me out of this situation. It's too big for you. But God is working in the waiting. We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God by casting all our anxiety on him. We give him our worries. And we trust him to get through it. And we're able to do that because we know that he loves us, that he cares for us. That doesn't mean that he's going to relieve us out of that situation right away. But in his timing. And he's working in that time of waiting. But we can trust him. You know, this past week, while we were in Asia um, with these precious women leaders, uh, we 
in addition to teaching, we also did four small group sessions with them. And three of them, we took them through writing or, or telling their testimony. But the fourth one, we took them through um, the passage in Matthew 6 about anxiety. Don't be anxious. He cares for you. Seek first his kingdom. And we were teaching them how to study a passage in the Bible. And that was such a, a, an appropriate topic for them because every one of them shared what they were worried about. They're living in a country that is growing more and more opposed to Christianity. Life is hard for them. They had worries, and, and they shared them. And one of the highlights for us that week in, in Asia, and I'm not mentioning the country just for protection for them because of the recording, but um, one of the highlights for us last week was at the end of the conference, they always have us pray over each woman. And so the four of us lined up at the front. Each of us had two uh, of the in, uh, women leadership, and um, they would come one by one. And they would share their need, their prayer request. And then the translator would tell us, and then all three of us would pray over them at the same time. It was a powerful uh powerful time. They would share things. They're, they're worried. They, they're worried about their families. They're worried about finances, being able to make ends meet, being able to feed their children. They're worried about salvation of their loved ones. Even some of their husbands um, who are not walking with God. Some had serious health needs that just break your heart, and you just wish you could just put them here in the U.S. and send them to a doctor. They were worried about ministry needs. And many of them just broke down and sobbed as we prayed over them because they were releasing their worry to God. They were casting their anxiety on him. They humbled themselves under the mighty hand of God, knowing they were not able to handle the situation on their own strength. They could only look to God, and they needed prayer. And they asked us to continue to pray for them. But they clothed themselves with humility in that spiritual battle. And then Peter reminds us in this chapter who our enemy is and how we're to re respond to the enemy. He tells us the enemy is Satan. He is prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And how do we fight Satan? Well, he tells us in verses 8 to 9, be of sober spirit, be on the alert, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren in the world. In other words, he's saying, don't become apathetic. Don't let your guard down. Don't minimize his ability to attack you. Stay alert. Be aware of his attacks. Resist him. Don't give in to his deception and his accusations. Don't listen to him. And remember, you're not alone in your suffering 
There are other believers who are going through the exact same thing. You know, these believers Peter was writing to, they were probably being bombarded by darts of doubt. Where's God in this? He's abandoned you. He's letting you go through this all by yourself. If you deny your faith, all your suffering will go away. Christianity isn't worth it. And we encouraged our sisters on the other side of the world last week. Times are hard for you, we know it. And you're facing some potential serious persecution. But don't go back to your Hindu background. That's not going to make it go away. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. But Satan wants us to believe God's not enough. Let's just go back to what we once believed. And where to resist him, firm in your faith. Two questions I want you to consider about the spiritual battle, your own spiritual battle. One is, where are you most vulnerable to the enemy's attacks? And I think we know where we're weak, the areas that we're prone to fall, the areas that we're prone to worry. Be ready for his attacks on those weak areas. But you need to be aware of where those weak areas are. And then second, when are you most vulnerable? Is it after something great has happened? And you've had, or you've had a victory and you're feeling really good about yourself and feeling pretty strong and Satan attacks you? Or is it when you're discouraged and you're down about something and he attacks you, makes you question God's love? Maybe it's when you're exhausted and you just don't have the physical strength or emotional strength to fight him. Maybe it's when you're alone and you have nobody else speaking God's truth to you. Where and when are you most vulnerable? Be aware of how the enemy attacks and resist his attacks. And we do that by staying in his word and by drawing from the the power of the Holy Spirit in you and staying in close fellowship to other believers. Don't isolate yourself. Have a group that holds you accountable and prays for you. We have an enemy, and we need to humble ourselves and admit, God, I need your help. I cannot fight this battle by myself. And don't let pride convince you that you're invincible. I'll never fall. I'll never do that. I've seen people that I never thought would fall, fall, because they got confident that they wouldn't. And that's exactly where Satan wants you. And so then Peter gives them one final word of encouragement in verses 10 to 11. He gives them a promise. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal life, his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
Those four words, perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish, all speak of strength and immovability. God is strengthening us and our character through our suffering. And our suffering is only temporary, but the glory to come is eternal. And one day we're going to see that sanctification complete when he returns or he takes us home. And so we've looked at four areas in this chapter in which Peter instructs these believers and us to clothe themselves with humility. First, clothe yourself with humility in leadership. Are you leading with humility or with pride and power over others? Second, clothe yourself with humility in subjection. Are you humbly submitting to the leadership of the church? Are you causing dissension in the body by grumbling and complaining about what the leadership's doing or not doing? Do you struggle with authority in the church or do you willingly submit and trust their leadership? And third, clothe yourself with humility in relationships. Are you considering the desires and needs of others over your own needs and preferences? Or are your preferences and desires all that matter? Are you considering others more important than yourself? And then fourth, clothe yourself with humility in the spiritual battle. Are you trying to fight the spiritual battle in your own strength? Or are you humbling yourself by admitting to God, I don't have the strength to fight this on my own. I need you, God. And so as you go into your closet in the morning, and every morning after, to put on your clothes for the day, remember to put on and clothe yourself with humility. Because if we're going to be anchored in Christ to endure whatever suffering and trials and the enemy's attacks, we have got to clothe ourselves with humility. That is one piece of clothing we can't do without. Let me pray, and I'd love to close with, um, I may bring Carolyn Agapos up here to help me. Sorry, Carolyn. But that, the song of, uh, I need you, oh, I need you, that one. Okay, I'll pray and then we'll sing that. I think that's the tune. The contemporary version. (laughs) Father, thank you. Thank you for uh, your love. Thank you for this letter of 1 Peter and just how you've used it in my life and I hope in every woman's life in this room. And Father, I pray that we would take these words and that we'd apply them. And that, Father, every day we would clothe ourselves with humility in all of these areas. And that, Lord, we would cling to you and acknowledge how much we need you. In Jesus' name, amen.